And the high road is not choosing between the good and the bad. Anybody can do that. You can do that without God. But the high road is choosing between the good and the best, and always choosing the best. Deal with something I hope will be extremely helpful to you. Many people have the idea they're going to start a church, and I'm grateful for that. Church planning is at the heart of all we're doing. But most people who are in the pastorate are going to take a church and try to, in that church, do the work God's given them to do. When the Apostle Paul wrote the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy, Titus and Philemon, he talked about two things, things to set in order and things to avoid. And the great challenge you're going to face is knowing the difference between what you should be trying to set in order and the things you should avoid. And if you're not careful, you're going to be caught in the trap of trying to avoid the things you set in order and try to set in order the things you should avoid. There's some things pastors just need to leave alone, and there's some things they should never leave alone. At the heart of all of that is our own relationship and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why I want to begin here with Proverbs chapter 3. The Bible says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee, bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. I want you to notice the place given to the Lord here. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. There's nothing you want more in life than the God-directed path. Being sensitive enough to, to know God's way and to follow God's way. It requires faith, no doubt about it. It doesn't come through human logic or reasoning. As a matter of fact, our foolishness, our wisdom is foolishness with God. And his foolishness is wiser than our wisdom, the Bible says. So how do we know what to do? I want you to look again in the book of Psalms, the 37th Psalm. The Bible says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now, this doesn't mean that God is going to give you everything you want. Some people have the idea, if I delight in the Lord, then God's going to give me everything I want. But rather, delighting in the Lord, keeping Christ as the object of your faith and delight. Delighting in the Lord, the Lord will place in your heart the right desires. And I want you to place in your mind the idea of the Lord directing your path and also the Lord giving you the desires of your heart. Remember what Paul wrote the church in Philippi. 
In the second chapter in the 13th verse, it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. God not only gives us the thing we're to do, He directs that path about what we're to do, He also gives us the desire for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And so it's not that you're just doing the thing, you have a delight, you're desiring, this is what you want to do. You know, pastoring a church can be the most wonderful thing in the whole wide world, or it can be the most miserable thing you ever attempted to do. A pastor friend that I have great respect for said recently to me, or said in my presence at least, he said, half the pastors I know would like to leave the churches they're now pastoring. They're very unhappy men. I want to talk to you a little bit about the conversion of a church. And of course, I mean by that, you're going to a church that's not doing what they ought to do, and you're going to have to work with those dear people in that church to try to help them and encourage them to do the right thing. The conversion of a church. Many young men get out into a church somewhere and they have such trouble, they get so discouraged, they're, they're thinking to themselves, I'm never going to make it. This will not work. I, I can't handle it here. And the first thing you know, in some weak moment, they're looking for another place to go and someone provides the other place to go and they're gone. Every church you go to will need to be converted. Some to a greater extent than others. That doesn't mean you know it all and they know nothing. But it means God sent you there to lead and to shepherd that, that flock. Now let's talk a little bit about it. And before we do, just as a preliminary thing, I want to talk to you about where I pastored churches. Because the path God chose for me, I would never have chosen for myself. But now looking back at the path God chose for me, I'm very happy that the Lord chose it for me. I answered God's call to preach in my life when I was 18 years old. I had already surrendered my life to serve the Lord. I think that's very important. I yielded my life to God's control. I said, Lord, listen. I, Lord, I, I want to serve you. I love you. I want to serve you. I want to give you my whole life. Now, I didn't know at the time that was being a preacher or a pastor. The Lord had come to mean that much to me that I wanted Him to have my whole life. And from that principle of, of, of making Christ Lord, giving the Lord His rightful place in your life, everything else has, has come out of that, everything. You see, some people have the idea of being a pastor of a church is like getting a job assignment and you just do this job assignment. But for me, pastor of a church is following my pastor, my shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, and as He leads me in the same manner, I lead the church. We've been given the greatest thing in the whole world to do, and that's pastor. And we have no greater instructor than our own shepherd the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord is my shepherd. And as He shepherds me and I learn from Him, I've learned how to shepherd other people. Churches don't need a CEO. And the goal of a pastor doesn't need to be to build a mega church. Churches need a pastor. And this is, this is the body of Christ, the local assembly of the body of Christ on this earth, carrying out God's work God's way. So when I yielded my life to the Lord to serve Him, 
I, I got keenly interested in God's work and I, I took a special interest in preachers and preaching just because these were the people who were leading. And I thought to myself, perhaps God wants me to be a preacher. Perhaps this really is what the Lord wants. He wants me to be a preacher. And I had to get willing in my heart to be a preacher if that's what God wanted. My big struggle was thinking I could not do that. And I think that's a good thing, not a bad thing. But it is a prideful thing. Now you would think that's humility. But, but saying to the Lord, I can't do it, is still thinking we have to do it in our energy. It's sort of the flip side of pride. I was talking to my friends in England when I was there last lecturing in a conference and we were talking about English churches and English needs and throughout Great Britain there's such a great need and we, we've extended our college work there as you know with Crown College UK and I said the problem with the work of God in this country among fundamental Bible believing Bible preaching people is it's too big. They think, it's, they, 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 they think of themselves too great and they're just sort of sitting in shock they thought. They thought, to my, to my surprise, I was looking in their faces, and they thought, listen, this man just, just doesn't understand us. He doesn't understand how weak and anemic our churches are. And I went on to explain, you're thinking about how great the need is in this nation, and then you're thinking about your weak, anemic position and what you've got to do to get all this work done, and you're not able to do it. And the fact of the matter is, you're seeing yourself in such a way that you're thinking you have to do it, but God wants to do it through you. Think of your own history. Think of the great preachers. Think of the Wesleys and the Spurgeons and, and others throughout this country and how God took an individual and used that individual. And so we need to deal with this, with this matter of saying, I'm not able. And then finally recognize that that's true. I'm not able. But if this is God's work, God will enable me to do it. By His Spirit, He'll enable me. I thought, you know, that Doctors' sons become doctors and lawyers' sons become lawyers and preachers' sons become preachers and I certainly wasn't a preacher's son. But when I would listen to God's Word and hear the man of God preaching, guess what? I wanted to preach. Everything reproduces after its own kind. Uh, sadly, I heard a man say the other day that his son was, was an actor and, and I won't tell you the details of it, fine young man, outstanding young man, but to the knowledge of the pastor, he was not, a, he was not a, at least living the Christian life and may not have been a Christian, may not be a Christian. And he said he got this desire to become an actor from, from the church drama department. In other words, when he was younger and saw the great dramas put on by the church, he thought he'd want to be an actor, and he actually is a Hollywood actor and has been featured as a star in feature films in Hollywood. If I gave his name, some of you may know his name, but you certainly know some of the films he starred in. You've heard of them. They've been advertised. And I thought when I heard that story, what should a young person think about, a young man sitting in an audience in a church? He should see the preacher, and he thinks, I want to be a preacher. I want to, I want to serve God. I, I want to serve the Lord. I, I want to be a preacher of the gospel. That's the thing I want to do. And so God is at work in people's lives in this way. And so I, I believe that as the, Lord, as the Lord deals with you, 
as God speaks to you, as you listen to a preacher, you ought to have a desire to do what he's doing. And I finally attended a meeting of a crusade. Dr. C.E. Autry was preaching. Dr. Autry was a, a man in his 60s at the time, but he was so stirred up for the Lord. And I mean, just on, 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 on his, in his preaching, he was just on fire for God. And as I listened to him, I thought, I want to be a preacher. This burning in my heart is a desire to be a preacher, to serve the Lord in this way. And I surrendered, I yielded to that desire, and I recognized that God was calling me to preach. And there was in me a desire. It is God which works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And the Lord began to show me what I was to do and how I was to do it. And I yielded the call to preach. My pastor said to me, I want you to go with me on the radio station and bring a message on the radio. Now that was pretty amazing. First sermon I ever preached was on the radio. And when I finished the radio broadcast, it was so pitiful. I mean, you never heard anybody in your life do such a pitiful job preaching. I still had the recording because when I walked out of the radio station, the man handed me the, the, the tape of the thing and he said, someday you'd like to have this. This will be very meaningful to you and you'd like to have this. And I have it, but I'm ashamed for anybody to listen to it. It is the most pitiful sermon you've ever heard in your life. There's no way that any of you could ever have made such a mess as I made preaching my first sermon. Would you like me to bring it sometime you'd hear it? It'll encourage you to think, you know, that anybody can do better than this. If this guy could become a preacher, anybody could be a preacher. And then I started preaching around in churches. I'd played football in high school and was a captain of a team and had my name in the paper a lot and that type of stuff. One night scored five touchdowns. And by the way, the longer I lived, the better I was. You ever heard that before? And uh, so people wanted to have this young high school football star come and speak. And it opened some doors. And uh, wasn't long after that till I played in the East-West All-Star game. It, it, was the, it was the summer after my graduation. I answered the call to preach summer after graduating high school. And they had an East-West football game. I agreed to play it and got the most valuable player in the game. But I preached the next morning, Sunday morning after, after the football game. I could hardly walk. It was terrible. And I said, I'll never play in another game. This is what God's given me to do, to be a preacher. I knew that God's call in my life was a call to prepare, so I made plans to go to college and prepare for the ministry, which I did. And someday we'll talk about that. But as I began to preach, I was preaching for my pastor one morning after months of preaching around in other places. And the strange group of people were in the church. Observant, different. And someone said to me, there's a pulpit committee here. And so one of them came to me after the service and I said, I'm very sorry that my pastor was not here today. He asked me to fill the pulpit for him. And they said, we knew your pastor wasn't going to be here. And we came not to hear your pastor, but to hear you. We have a church, and we need a pastor. And I thought, I can't imagine, <laughs> you know. Somebody actually wants me to be their pastor. I can't imagine. I remember how grateful I was and how my heart was humbled to think that somebody would want me, some flock of sheep would want me to be their shepherd. I got so excited about it. I drove down to the neighboring little town, Greenback, Tennessee, to find out where the building was. It was unlocked. I went inside. I remember the first day I ever walked in that building, the smell of the building. 
It smelled like a church. Now, whatever that smells like, I can't tell you, but it smelled like a church. It was a pleasant smell. In an auditorium, it seated about, oh, maybe 200 people or so. And uh, just a building with a basement, and all the rooms were downstairs. It had a little house, uh, well, not so little, but next door where the pastor was to live. And I thought, could this possibly be true that these people would want me to be the pastor? And then I preached the trial sermon. And I, I, I think trial sermons are just that, you're on trial. Dr. R.G. Lee said any fool can shoot one big gun. He didn't believe in trial sermons, and he always told every church he wouldn't preach one. If they wanted him to be their pastor, they'd just have to call him without hearing him preach a trial sermon in their church. I never did that. I just I went on trial, and they convicted me and wanted me to be their pastor. And my pastor had a meeting with the pulpit committee. He said, before he can accept the church, I want you to know that I want him to meet with me and all of you. And I'll never forget that night when Brother Hagen was there in the in the room with me down in the study of the church where he pastored and I had been attending. And he read those people the riot act. He said, this is the first church he'll pastor. You're going to take care of him. And this is what you ought to do for him. And if you give him a fit, I'm coming after you. If you mistreat him, I'm coming in. And I thought, man, you know, he means business, doesn't he? And uh, they started looking at Pastor Hagen and promising Brother Hagen how they'd treat me and how they'd be good to me because this was the first church I'd pastor, and I would remember this the rest of my life. He was right. I'd remember the people the rest of my life right. And many a young pastor had gone to a church like this and had gotten out of the ministry because he'd been mistreated, and he meant for them to treat me right. Whew. He was tough on them, believe me, really tough on them. But they all agreed. And then I, I took the pastor of the church. By then, I had a wife and a little boy, baby, we moved in their house. I became their pastor. And I soon found out that the pastorate was not everything I thought it was. I loved it, loved the people. But the church had had nearly more pastors than they had years existing. In other words, men had come there and just sort of gone through a revolving door. They preached everything they knew and they were gone. And I managed to stay at the time longer than any pastor had ever taken that church and stayed there. Broke a record. Now, somebody came later and stayed a little longer, but it was after the ministry I'd had. I stayed three and a half years as a pastor of that church. And what wonderful, blessed years they were. I'm going to come back to that. But I left there and went to a church in a small town in Lenore City, Tennessee, the Calvary Baptist Church. What a wonderful time God gave us there. That's where, after about three and a half years, I felt God had led me out of the convention, I became an independent Baptist by conviction, moved to Chattanooga, eventually started working with Dr. Lee Robertson as assistant pastor at the Highland Park Baptist Church. I stayed there five years. I'll tell you about the church a little later. Then after being there, God had burdened my heart for New York City. I thought I'd go there and stay the rest of my life. And a church that had been without a pastor for five years contacted me they were 11 miles from New York City, the Madison Avenue Baptist Church in Patterson, New Jersey. Now, I'd pastored a church in a little country town of 350 people. I'd pastored a church in a small town of 6,500 people. I'd helped Dr. Robertson in a town of about 200,000 people for five years. And now, this was the third most densely populated area in America. 
in the greater New York City area, Patterson, New Jersey, the town of Patterson was the third most densely populated city in America. And then I was in a, an area of 25 mile radius of over 22 million people. And we spent eight of the most glorious years of our lives there. I want you to know that every place I've ever been, I enjoyed. I wept when I left. And I've always been able to go back, see the people, greet them, and receive their love and they mine. I came to this church nearly 20 years ago that I'm pastoring now. It was a great struggle to come here. It's in a suburban area. Now, I said to you earlier, the path God chose for me, I would never have chosen for myself. Never. I would never have said, now look, I want to pastor a little country church. Then I want to pastor a church in a small town. Then I want to pastor a church in a pretty large town or at least assist someone like Dr. Robertson in Chattanooga. Then I'd like to go to the largest metropolitan area in, in America and then take a suburban church. But it didn't happen because I chose it. It happened because God chose it for me. And the Lord knew someday that I was going to be training preachers. And because God knew I was going to be training preachers, I don't think there's one man that could ever say to me, well, you don't understand my church. Well, what is it? It's just a little country church. Been there, done that. Less than 40 people in the church when I, when I came to that little country church. Wonderful. Loved it. Walked in their gardens, sat on their porches with them. Appreciated everything about it. One of the most serene places in the whole wide world. Problems, yes. Growth, God blessed. We averaged 156 people in Sunday school. The last month I was there. And uh, that was an all-time record attendance for anything. God blessed in a mighty way. Well, somebody said, well, I'm just in a little small town. Look, been there, 6,500 people in the town. We called everybody in the phone book twice a year. Uh, pretty amazing. We knocked on every door. Wonderful people. I loved it. I loved every moment I was with them. God blessed in a mighty way. I loved my time working with Dr. Robertson. High pressure, working with somebody else, serving under his expectations. Yes, but it was a great experience for me. God blessed in a mighty way. Then I took a church in a large metropolitan area where almost everyone you met did not speak English as a first language. If I had knocked on 10 doors right outside our church, I'd have been hard-pressed to find anybody that didn't speak broken English. The church had gone through the transition of of being a, a church where there were a lot of old Dutch families there who had settled in America years ago to now a church full of immigrants who were speaking English as a second language. Uh, one day we just as on a, on a whim counted the nationalities and counted about 40 different nationalities of people who were in the church. It, it's, it was an amazing situation. Been without a pastor for five years but they're still in existence. They were about to close the place, but they were still in existence. What does that mean? It means some strong lay people had been running things, leading things. And now they've got a pastor who wants to lead. And then I came to this church. And this church had a great reputation, but it had been through some very difficult days. And uh, three very fine men in this church were holding things together. But now they had a pastor. And the pastor had to lead. And I want you to know, in Greenback, Tennessee, we had to go through a conversion. And in Lenore City, Tennessee, we had to go through a conversion. I followed a man who had been there for over 20 years 
who said he didn't believe in the virgin birth of Christ or said it wasn't necessary. May I say he said it wasn't necessary. I can't imagine. Chattanooga, Tennessee, working with Dr. Lee Robertson, an amazing time in my life. Patterson, New Jersey, they had deacons and elders at the Madison Avenue Baptist Church. The elders thought they would have preaching responsibility just like the pastor. We had to go through a conversion, a real transition. And so in a little country church, in a small town church, in the, the largest metropolitan area in America, with multiple cultures involved there, and here in a suburban area on the outskirts of Knoxville, Tennessee, every church, we've had to go through this conversion. Now I want to talk to you about how that happens, how, how you live your life, how you love the people, the things you deal with and the things you don't deal with in the conversion of a church. I want to continue our discussion with the idea of the conversion of a church. It's nothing for us to try to comprehend that God converts people. I'm talking to people that God has converted. Here you are, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. But you get the idea that that's for individuals and individuals only, but it isn't. It's also for churches. Churches need to be converted. And what? What happens in that conversion? What is the measure of the local New Testament church? How are you going to measure a church? I want you to always remember this. The greatness of a church is not in its size, but in its likeness to Jesus Christ. Now, remember, it's not in its size, but in its likeness to Jesus Christ. This is why God tells us that our works are going to be judged not by their size, but of their sort. You see, we're living in a day when people think if you don't have a thousand people in a church, you, you, really, you really haven't reached your goal. Or if you don't have 2,000 or 3,000 and you don't have some mega church, you really haven't reached your goal. But again, churches don't need CEOs. They don't need to become corporations. It is a local assembly of baptized believers who voluntarily join themselves together to carry out the Great Commission. And when a pulpit committee is looking for a pastor, what are they looking for? Well, they better be looking for a shepherd. Someone who loves the Lord and follows the Lord Jesus Christ and will love the people. Now, I'm going to say something you don't want to hear. He may not be the greatest preacher in the world. Do you know preaching, preaching can improve. Our vision of God can enlarge. Our knowledge of the Bible can extend. And our preaching can improve. I'd like to think after 40 years of preaching that uh, my preaching has taken on some improving in 40 years in the ministry. I think that improvement comes not just in delivery. You see, there's an art and a content in preaching. The art has to do with the delivery. The content, of course, the science of it is the content and the art of the science. And people improve the delivery. I don't work at improving my delivery as much as I want to improve the science or the content of the preaching. I think a man should be perfectly natural in his, in his delivery. Uh, extended conversation with more energy and power, filled with the Spirit of God. But it's a matter of placing the emphasis where God places the emphasis. I know many men who are great preachers, but I don't have much respect for their Christianity. 
But the, the world says, what a speaker. I don't say that. In the opinion of the onlooker and the hearer, they said, man, this person's dynamic. Well, I want to know this. Does he live a dynamic Christian life? What place does Jesus Christ have in his life? If you were on a pulpit committee looking for a pastor, who would you be looking for? The right size, the right age, the right experience, uh, interesting speaker? Or would you be looking for somebody who truly loved the Lord? A person with whom it was obvious this person was walking with God? You know, this is a high holy calling, this calling of being a, a preacher and a pastor. And... I think even in a man's attire, his dress, his speech, there ought to be a, a reverence and a certain, a certain look and a, a distinguishableness about a man who's a preacher, a preacher of the gospel. And I, I think this needs to be reevaluated on the part of most people. But let's imagine the pulpit committee comes to see you. And you're going to be thinking, well, am I going to accept this church? Are they going to accept me? I think what you should be saying in your heart is, is this the place God wants for me? And if it is, the Lord will have to confirm it in their hearts. God will have to convince them. I am not going to go there and pretend to be someone I'm not to try to get a position that I'll later not want. You know, young preachers especially have stars in their eyes and they want to be in the most dynamic place in the world or involved in the most dynamic thing. But, but don't try to think you have to enhance God's work. It's already great. God's work is great no matter where it's going on. It might go on in rural Pennsylvania somewhere where no one ever hears your name. It's never in the paper. You can't put an ad in the paper because you don't have one to put it in. You don't have a paper. Or it might be in the, in the heart of a, uh, an urban situation in a heavily populated town. Wherever God puts you to do His work is a great place. I want you to stop thinking that great places are, are, the, are the places that we, we hear the most about. The New Yorks, the Los Angeles, the, the Atlantas, the Miamis. The great place in your life is the place of God's choosing. And there are people there in a small church or a larger church. There are people there who love the Lord, who need an opportunity to have a shepherd who will love them. When I pray for this church, I pray this way. Lord, help me to be the pastor that these people deserve to have. Now for me, pastoring has always started with the Lord. It all begins with God. I want to be a man of integrity. I don't believe any man can truly have the joy of the Lord in his heart if he's pretending to be something he's not. You be right with God. Keep yourself right with God. Keep your walk right with God. And then you ought to pastor your family. And just like there are times of greater need in your life, there'll be times of greater need in the life of your family. There'll be times when your wife needs more attention, your children need more attention. And God will give you the opportunity to teach your church that you need to pastor your family. This doesn't mean you hang around the house all the time, but you pastor your family. 
And uh, I have a loving wife who stood by my side all these many years. I have two fine sons, and I, I respect them greatly, and I, I believe they respect me, and we have served the Lord together. I have two daughters-in-law now and six beautiful grandchildren, and I love them, and I pray for them. I don't pray that they'll all be preachers, but I pray, two of them are girls, <laughs> you know, but I pray that they'll all do God's will and have a heart's desire for the Lord. And maybe I should pray that all those boys would be preachers. And I'm not going to tell you about some of the private conversations I've had with them about some of those things. They've come to me asking me questions about a pastor and what's a pastor do and say. But I do want them to love the Lord and serve the Lord from their heart. You be a pastor who's respected most for the Christian he is not for the preacher he is. Respected for the life you live, for the Christ-centeredness of your life. Be respected for the way you lead your family, for the tenderness and kindness you show your wife, for the steadfastness you have in your home and family, for the father you are to your children. You see, many men who who have succumbed to being what they might call a good pastor but a poor father, or a good pastor, a poor husband. I don't believe that's the way it should work at all. If you're going to convert a church, then you need to allow first God's conversion work to have taken place in your selfish heart. Because we're all selfish and self-centered. We don't have any business trying to lead a church to be Christ-like if we haven't made that the goal of our lives personally. Amen? And that's the person you're looking for in a pastor. I want to be a man who lives a disciplined life. And churches will become disciplined. Now, some men love that more than others. They're almost addicted to the routine and the discipline. I'm a person who likes to see everything done decently and in order. Some people don't have that personality. And I don't think you should carry it to extreme. But I get more accomplished in my life because of that discipline. And churches become disciplined. I mean, like starting on time and doing things when they're supposed to do them, planning things, praying about things. I think you should constantly work at your, at your knowledge of God's Word. Remember that the Bible is God's revelation of Himself to us. And you need to be a man of the Bible. You talk about the Bible. You speak of things in the Bible. You know the Bible. Uh, wouldn't you expect if you go to a doctor, he knows your body, he knows what symptomatic things point to in your body? Would you like to have a neurosurgeon work on you that doesn't know the nervous system, or an orthopedic surgeon operate on you who doesn't know the skeletal system? No. And I think people have a right to come to a church and know that their pastor knows God's Word. But do you know that most schools place an emphasis more in methodology than in theology today? They place a greater emphasis in knowing about how to handle people than they do about the Word of God. If, you, if you're going to lead a church to be converted to the image of Christ, if you're going to lead the church, it's going to take time and patience. Where are you going to get that? Where are you going to get the ability to wait upon the Lord and to realize that people say things they don't mean and they can be cruel and heartless and mean? I remember finding a man laying in the shrubbery outside of my house in New Jersey. Yes, he'd been there for a long time. 
He wanted to hear me say something in my home, in my family, that he could use against me. Think of that. And if they can't attack you, they'll attack your children. How are you going to respond to that? These are your children. You protect them. You're firm about it. You speak the truth and love to people about it. But you're going to be under attack. You see, most people have the idea when they're standing off afar and looking on that all is just hunky-dory. But it's going to take a lot of the love of God in you to hang in there and do what you're supposed to do. To avoid the things you should avoid and to set in order the things that need to be set in order. If you're going to convert a church, let's look at the Lord Jesus Christ. First, we thought about our own life and the conversion God brings about in us. And that's constant now. It's going to go on and on and on. It never ends. It's, it's unending. The challenges I face today are greater than the challenges I faced years ago. But if you're going to convert a church, look at what Jesus did. He chose a group of men who had their own agenda, their own ideas, their own passion, their own purpose, and He called them to Himself. And He taught that small group of people His passion and His purpose. I think the same principle is true in your church. You're going to be a Bible preacher, not just on a whim, not preaching against what you don't like and for what you do like. You don't preach your prejudices. You want to stay true to God's Word. The Lord Jesus taught these men the truth. He acquainted them with Bible doctrine. The world would say He tried to get them all on the same page. What we're trying to do is get people to agree together in the Lord, showing them brotherly kindness. You see, it's not a struggle that I have with you. In other words, look, I'm the pastor. You're the people. You listen to me. This is the way it's supposed to be. No, no, no. It's, I want you to come with me, please. Come along with me, please. This is what God says. I'm going to agree on what God says. I want you to make the commitment as a Christian that you'll agree on what God says. Now that's going to take time. People fuss about things like money. They fuss about things like children. Uh, I remember one time the men in the church in Patterson, New Jersey called a meeting and they called me to the meeting. That's always a dangerous meeting to, to attend. They called the meeting, they called me to it. And all the deacons and elders, eventually we just had deacons, but all the deacons and elders surrounded me like Indians surrounding the wagon train. And some people had left our church they had left our church because I'm sure I wasn't perfect, but I was trying to preach and teach the Bible. And they said, these people can't be all wrong. And so I said, look, let's make an agreement. And I took my Bible in my hand and I put the Bible down on the floor. And I got on top of the Bible. I sat there with my knees on top of the Bible, rolled up a little ball. And they thought, what's happening? And I said, I'm going to teach and preach the Bible. I want to try to live the Bible. Would you men just agree if it's Bible, we'll do it. If it's not Bible, we won't do it. And did you know God spoke to their hearts and one by one they walked out of that room and from that day forward, that church was different. Now, I'd been there a number of months. It was like war for over a year. But I didn't come there to leave. I came there to stay. It's like the little boy got a pair of skates and 
Someone saw him a few hours later and he was bloody and bleeding everywhere and scratched all the pieces, had his skates on. And they said, son, look at you. You need to get those skates off. You need to quit that. And the little boy said, my daddy didn't give me these skates to quit. He gave me these skates to learn to skate. That's what I'm doing. And God doesn't give you that church to have a little problem and quit. You're going to make it. Look, when the Lord Jesus had just about finished His earthly ministry and was on His way to the cross, they're still fussing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. One mother comes and wants her sons to sit on one side and the other. <laughs> you know, the last miracle He performed before He bled and died for our sins, one of His disciples, His chief one perhaps you would say, took a sword and tried to kill a man, missed his throat and cut off his ear, and the Lord had to put his ear, the ear back on the man's head. Think of that. You're never going to be without problems. Pastoring a church is helping people through one problem after another. Being there for them. You see, you have authority and you have power. You have authority when they call you to be the pastor. You're the pastor. I'm the pastor. And we'll talk someday about when you're ordained and sent as a pastor. And I remember my ordination ceremony in my local church and how it went on for such a long period of time. I was questioned publicly back then after, after a long, long time of questioning. And finally they laid their hands on me and sent me out. And I remember what dear uh, W.F. Hall, my, my fine friend, Dr. Hall, said. And he said, Clarence, if you ever deny the faith, if you ever, if you ever leave the teachings of God's Word, I want you to come back and find any of this group that's still alive and tell them you want to turn in your ordination paper because you won't be fit to stand in the pulpit and preach God's Word. It was a serious matter. And when a pastor is called, he has authority, but he doesn't have power. Some people go along with you, but you don't have power until you love them, until you go to the graveside with them and comfort them, until you marry their young, bury their dead, visit them when they're sick. And you go in there like a bull saying, well, look, I'm the pastor. It never works that way, gentlemen. It never works that way. You see, Jesus had those men loving Him. Why? Why did they love Him? Because He first loved them. And your church will love you in return for your love to them. And when you love them, they'll love you. Well, there's people here after these many years who love me, do anything in the world for me, and I don't have to get up and say, I'm the pastor. You're supposed to love the pastor. No. I've had the opportunity to prove I love them and I'm there for them and I care about them and I prayed for them. And guess what? They've showered me with their love. They've actually flooded me with their love. And when we do something here, it's not because the pastor wants to do it. It's because we've prayed together and believe this is what God wants all of us to do. The pastor could just jerk these people around and do what we've done here. It's been a united effort. This church has been converted to a group of followers of the Lord Jesus. That's where you're trying to bring your church. Now remember, you've got to be a man of integrity, a spiritual man. You've got to be the kind of man who doesn't make problems bigger. That's what carnal people do. Spiritual people know how to make big problems smaller. Well, I see some preachers who blow up a church over nothing. I mean, some little something they fuss about should have even been avoided. Well, they want to set everything in order because they, they just have to have everybody doing what they want them to do. Well, that's not right. 
Remember, you're pastoring families. Let a man be the head of his house. You don't have to try to be the head of everybody's house and tell their children, their wife what to do. The strong church is the church where families follow the Lord and men lead their own family. The pastor isn't some, some dictatorial figure who's running the whole thing like some cult. May God help us. You're leading the people to God. You're guiding the people to God. They follow you as you follow God. But gentlemen, if you don't learn how to convert a church, you're going to have a miserable ministry. You're going to fight the people night and day. Every time you take a church, you're going to run out of anything to preach and before long you're gone. You're going to go through a revolving door taking your family after you everywhere imaginable. Keeping kids upset. Don't bring your troubles home. Be strong enough as a Christian. You deal with it and pray about it. Be selective about what you tell your wife and children. Teach your children to feel well about the things of God and the people of God. Many a pastor has reaped his, his own sad harvest by complaining and griping about what's wrong with the church and wrong with the people. No wonder his children get grown and don't want to go. Is God's work that miserable? No. The church should be converted. And it begins with a conversion in your own heart and continues as you become more Christ-like. You take the same pattern that the Lord Jesus took. You become a man of the Word, teaching the truth. You meet together the truth. You love them. They love you in return. You do not betray them. You're there for them. You have power in their lives, the power of influence. Not the power to dominate them, but the power of influence because you've earned it. And this all takes time. You know their names, you call them by name, you love them, you show respect for them. I've seen pastors meet me at the airport again like that to prove that they love their people no matter who they are and what they do. People have to be shown like, like children have to be shown that we don't equate their value with, with their behavior. We don't equate their value with their behavior. If you start equating value with behavior... Then, then every time somebody misbehaves, they're no longer valuable. You don't want parents to treat children that way. I want you to have the most wonderful experience. I've had it. I love the people in Greenback, Tennessee and still have fond, loving memories, and I'd like to see them. I will see them in heaven, many of them. They're already there if I die today. If I die today, I hope to see all of them in glory that I pastored. I tried to teach them how to follow the Lord. The wonderful people in Lenore City, Tennessee, they helped me raise my children when they were just little boys growing up. How they loved my children, loved me and loved my wife. And I think of them and my heart, my heart is full of love and joy and gratitude. When I think of dear Dr. Robertson, the church there, I think of how many wonderful things God taught me there. And the precious people in Patterson, New Jersey. And the struggle I had. When I resigned that church, I sat down and wept. I didn't know if I could come here. I sat down and wept, and I don't know how long I sat in that chair. I know 10, 15 minutes, and they sat and wept. It was all a surprise. God had been dealing with me. I didn't know if I could say goodbye. I'd baptized 80% of them. And finally, one by one, they came and spoke to me and embraced me. And a man I had led to Christ, baptized, who was one of our deacons, said, let's pray. And I'll never forget his prayer. He's now in heaven. 
his grandson graduated from Crown College. But he said to me, Pastor, let's pray. And this is his prayer. He said, Lord, please help our pastor to learn to love those people the way he loves us and help those people to learn to love our pastor the way we love him. I'll never forget that as long as I live. I'm going to tell you, churches do need to be converted. But when they become Christ-like in that conversion, what a joy. An elderly man said to me one day when my two boys were visiting with me and I knocked on his door on the porch, he came. He said, what handsome boys. And he said to me, you know, sir, if you'll bring those boys up so that other people enjoy them, you'll enjoy them too. What wisdom. What wisdom. And do you know, I can go anywhere in the world, but when I come back here to our people, I can't wait to get back in their love, in their arms figuratively, in their lives. I've invested my life in them and what beautiful dividends it's paying in their Christ-like behavior toward me. It's a great thing. It's worth paying the price. It's worth staying. It's worth being patient, prayerful, taking the lumps early on to see the church converted into Christ-likeness. May God help us to do it. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Baptist Friends Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. And join us next time as we continue to gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism.